Welcome to the Scale with Tech and AI Growth Lab podcast. I am your host, Jay Farr at Tech Fusion Systems. Our guest is Glenn Akramoff at akramoff.com. Glenn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Can you start us off and give us kind of a top level overview of your business and what you do? Sure. Akramoff is a, a company that we help organizations reconnect with themselves and revitalize themselves. A lot of times from the inside out. And we do it in two ways. One, we go in as consultants and we're alongside the leadership to help them go through the process and start identify the problems and then fix them. The other way is more than occasionally I go in as an interim leader in the organization, whether as leading the entire organization or parts of it. And then we do the process from there with me as the acting leader. And then I replace myself. Interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about like, how did you get into this? Why did you start this firm? What kind of problems or needs did you see in the marketplace that that caused you to uh, go into this kind of work? Sure. So I think the first thing is I was in local government for about 25 years and I worked my way up from the front line, ultimately being a city manager. So I went from uh, a water meter reader to a city manager. So I saw a lot of stuff along the way and realized that there were a lot of challenges. What really, my why really comes from, I had two friends that I worked alongside when I was in the field. I was a maintenance worker for 10 years, 10, 12 years. And both of them, the workplace wasn't there for them. The workplace we were in was toxic. They couldn't handle it. Both of them didn't do well. Both of them self-medicated themselves, one actually to death. So I didn't want to see people do that anymore. And I wanted to make a difference. And I saw holes in there. So I started creating a program as a leader to do that. Found out that I was pretty successful at building teams and creating. So that really sounds pretty yeah. extreme. Your scenario that you spawned you to experience this enormous problem, that sounds like a pretty extreme example. And can you it tell is. us more about the situation? What caused the environment there and the people to experience such a kind of a toxic workplace that would cause such severe problems? Is it mostly personal problems? Is it policy problems? Is it work yeah. culture? Is it not enough lighting? What What's the deal? <laughs> to be clear, I find this in all the toxic workplaces I go. This is not uncommon. And we hope we catch them before people go that far. What are the problems that are there? Number one, it's it's almost always the culture is not good. It can be where in this case, the culture was very attacking you couldn't, you had to have, have your guard up all the time. The workers could feed on each other. The managers and the supervisors would feed on each other and the staff. Now, not to say everybody was bad because they weren't, there were a lot of great people that worked in those or, that organization. But because of the high profile and local government is high profile, everyone's watching what you do. The fact that drugs and alcohol were a part of it. There was mental illness there that was went untreated. In both cases, it was a combination of the two. And again, I find that everywhere I go. And they had no outlet. There was no one, no place in the organization for them to go to get healthy. And it was actually, it was actually shunned if you tried to. And do you, do you think that? Because I've been around places as well, and I've witnessed some of these things that you're talking about as well. Do you mm -hmm. think that it really has to stem from the the top? management the, the most and as far as who's at fault for failing to 
number one, make sure that work environment doesn't exist to begin with, but number two, when it does, take some sort of remedial action to, to make things better. It feels as though if you're in a supervisory position and within your organization this is happening and it's so blatant that you must know about it and you don't take any action that's being complicit and what do you have to say about that like why would someone not take any action is the funding not there are they not allowed to make those decisions at that level what kind of causes that to just go on and become normal even though it shouldn't be i think there's a couple factors one is that no one's paying attention you say that they should know, and they do in their mind, they know that something's not right. But a supervisor who has a manager and then a director, right? So you have multiple layers will say, I really can't do anything about this. There's nothing I can do. And I would say, yes, it's management heavy, but I have had clients where someone, the front lines have actually called the, the organization to action by saying, hey, we need help. And they've called me and had me talk to the decision makers. And then we went in and we helped everybody. And so I think it it can happen. And that's the message I want everyone to know is if you're in a workplace that's toxic, yes, you can leave. And everybody talks about that. But you also have two other choices. You can accept it, which is clearly you don't want to do, or you can help change it. And anybody can empower themselves to do that. So I think that's the, and it's amazing when you point out to a manager or supervisor, and the farther you get away from some of the problems, the harder it is to clearly see if you're not involved every day. And it is a real powerful moment when they realize in the change process that they were complicit. Yeah. I've had hardened leaders break down. I guess it's, I guess in that position, maybe it's easy just to ignore it and downplay it and say, well, it's not much I can do. It's not that big of a problem. It, it takes a lot of effort to size it up and to make a plan yeah. and to do something. And perhaps sometimes I think not all leaders are the best leaders in the world. People are at different levels. I think sometimes maybe they feel a little helpless. Like I'd like to do something, but I don't really know what to do or how to do it. I got these eggheads I got to manage and they're all crazy. <laughs> they're not going to listen to me anyway, that kind of stuff. And so that's very interesting. And it's shocking how prevalent this sounds. Yeah. It's, I would say that about 10% of organizations are what I would call a championship organization where they're super healthy and everything mm -hmm. goes well. Another 20% are okay. And then after that, it gets ugly. And everyone can look in their own organization right now and go, yeah, that department or, oh boy, we're not really healthy. And they can pick out stories and tell stories of what happened last week that mm -hmm. prove that. And I think you're right. Leaders look at it and go, it's so overwhelming. And I have 500 things to do. We're understaffed mm -hmm. and I've got to do those things. Those are the most important things because that's what the organization tells me. Mm -hmm. And that's what our culture has created. And in the end, and that's what we've named it is a human-centered movement towards a healthy workplace. Mm -hmm. If the organization's human-centered, then all of those other things start to happen pretty, pretty easily. But when it's not, everything's a fight. Right. And I think like another thing is that's probably not on one of the line items of the responsibilities of one of the roles in the organization. Make sure everyone's healthy. That doesn't exist anywhere, probably on the part of your job description and your <laughs> role in most organizations. And so I, I will celebrate it the first time it, I see it show up. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, what you're doing, getting the word out there and helping make this better. Hopefully we're going to see stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's 
I will say that there's nothing more rewarding for me personally. When you go into an organization, you walk in the first day and you look at everyone won't look you in the eye. They're beat down. They're not mm. feeling good about anything. And then eight to 10 months later, when we leave and they've made different choices and they've empowered themselves to be who they need to be, they don't need me anymore, which is really a signal for us. And then they're looking in you in the eye and they're, there is no raw speech that can bring them out of that, but they make their own later. And it, it's just a really rewarding to walk out the door and know we had a part in that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I, yeah, I definitely could understand that. It's a lot of rewards that go into that. When you were mentioning this before about how much time we spend at work, typically Americans work a lot of hours. That's just yeah. well known. And so if you're working in an environment that not only isn't your favorite place to necessarily be, but beyond that, it's a very negative uh, from an emotional standpoint and a mental standpoint, that makes it really tough. It makes the, the time go a lot slower, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you take that poison home with you and then you inject it into your, whoever you're hanging with. Yeah. That's a good point. And that's really the super detriment of it is it, that you have that toxicity, you bring it home, it's in your house. You're trying not to. The whole thing of work-life balance where you can separate the two, I don't believe in it because you can't. You're one human being and your emotional health and your well-being and your, even your physical health affects everybody around you. That's why I think it's so important is to be in a good workplace and to make a stand for it. And, and that's, when you're asking the why, that's a big part of it. And when I talk to leaders about this, I, I let them know you have, say you have a staff of 15. So you impact 15 people directly every day, but they all go home. And so the average is 2.2 in a family, right? So now you've doubled your impact right. overnight. Yeah. And so it's pretty powerful. Yeah. And you have to be at work anyway. Why not try to enjoy it a little bit? Wouldn't it be better to get a little bit of joy from your work? Yeah. So it, it makes a lot of yeah. sense. What are some of the, the signs that people could easily identify that would tell them that they definitely need someone like you to come in and try to make some big changes? That sure. Things are just at that point where it's over the line. It's not acceptable. And someone like you is needed to come in and facilitate that change. So there are a couple. Number one is absenteeism. If you have a high level of that, and if you're a, a supervisor or a manager, you're like, I don't want to go in today. <laughs> you, you look at your attitude. I don't want to face that anymore. And so that's one. Two is turnover. Turnover tends to be really big in toxic environments, mm -hmm. especially today. We Everyone talks about the latest generation, but they don't put up with it as much as the older generations do. They don't put up with it as long. Right. And I give them a lot of credit for that. And they just don't tolerate that. And they're like, I'm not doing that. Now they may ghost you, right? There's the ghost thing in the workplace and they just say, I'm not going in anymore. And they don't, but that's helping us change. The third is that there's always, everything's really clickish. So there's always fighting going on and there's factions within the organization. And if you it's as like a running a gang, <laughs> that's right. And if you're as a manager, if you're having to spend time dealing with two different or four different factions on your team to make them happy, mm -hmm. you that's where you got a problem. It's mm -hmm. telling you that they don't get along and they're they have picked sides and now they are they're having an ongoing fight that will not go away unless you interject something in it. And this isn't a one day easy fix, right? This is a process yeah. of some kind. Yeah. 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 So the process, first thing we do is we go in and we do an assessment. 
And we look at six things. We look at culture. We look at structure. We look at systems, look at processes. We look at external forces because there's always forces that put pressure on the on you that you don't have any control over. And then the last thing we look at is analytics, how you what you're measuring and why. And we look at those six things. We come up with recommendations and we create a, a roadmap to success. And we double check it with the team. And then we get started on the change process. We don't finish it. It usually takes two years to fully lift every detail that we find, but we get the momentum going and and we get our commitment to our clients is that we're going to get you going to where you won't stop. You'll get good momentum and it'll be sustainable. And then we're out and we're not right. coming back because we don't need to. And it's interesting because it's so difficult to run and grow a profitable business without those problems. Right. right. <laughs> it's not easy. I don't know how many people have done it. Lots of people yeah. have, lots of people failed. It's hard. And it's got to be so much harder if you have those kinds of problems. I almost don't know how they stay afloat. I would imagine that a lot of those organizations very likely aren't nearly as profitable as they could be because of that. And that's got to very heavily affect, I would think, the bottom line. And, and of huge. course, that, yeah, it's got to be huge. And then, yeah. of course, the converse of that is after this process, is done, it's a lot easier to yeah. work on the bottom line and in, in the actual business, right? Because people yeah. are, are much more integrated with one another. They're more into the work. It's a much more enjoyable process. You don't have the attitude like you were talking about, God, I don't want to go to work today. And that's every day, right? We right. all have days like that where we're like, I don't, right. I'd rather go to the pool today. Right. <laughs> but right. that doesn't mean I hate my work and I never want to go back. There's right. a big difference there. So what can you uh, talk to us about as far as financial gain for organizations? Because obviously, I think almost all people have decency within them, even if they're complicit and they're stuck in this kind of ongoing problem of a toxic environment. I think deep down, they'd like to do something about it. They'd like it to be better, but then they don't know how they think about the cost. But let's talk about not only the benefits for all the personnel involved, but the benefits for the business itself. Yeah, I think that one of the things we find is on average, because of the factors we've been talking about, an organization's working at somewhere between 35 and 40% efficiency. Wow. And, yeah. And so when you think about that and you say you're making a, a business is making a million dollar profit quarterly, and that's a pretty good sized business, but let's use that for round numbers. And you're working at 40% efficiency. Your staff is working at 40% because of all these factors. I don't know how they're making a profit at all. But the fact is that a lot of companies are working at that, which is amazing. And they're having to grind. I mean, everybody is really being beat down. Mm -hmm. Now, when you improve your efficiency just 10%, you can see the difference of ease and more profitability right away. And again, it's all those six factors or the five main factors that I was talking about that impact that. Because if you have someone who's not who's being less productive than they can be at 40% and you get them motivated and happy and where they need to be and they're healthy, they will, first of all, the, that loyalty that everyone talks about, they become much more productive. That's where loyalty comes from. Hey, I'm productive. I feel good about myself. That's what humans do is we're built to produce something. And so we feel better when we produce better. So that process starts to happen they produce more and more. And I don't talk about getting to 100% efficiency. That's impossible. Right, right. But we're trying to get you to 80 to 85. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
And when we get you there, the profit is directly related to that. So you, and the way that happens, that doesn't always add up. No, it doesn't. Things that if everybody's operating so much better, you can take on more clients and more work without more stress, without harder, it'll be much easier. And everyone's producing more. Now you have an opportunity to expand. And your increased overhead is very little, if anything. Almost none. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about your clients? Do they fit into any niches or verticals or or characteristics of any kind? Uh, What size are they typically? Who makes the best clients for you? We've been at it for almost four years. Because my background was in local government, we've had a number of local government clients. But we have also, our our range, at least to this point, and one of the reasons is we're working on scaling and most everything still goes through me. It has to be impacted on me. Now I have another consultant who's joined the team. He and I are doing a project together. We'll be able to scale a little bit more and do bigger organizations. But I would say... 250 people is where we've been so far, but I've done as little as 10 and, and they're different, but there's no, they still have the same challenges. I would also say that we've done a number of for-profit businesses as well at this point. And that's really what we've gotten into over the last year. And the program works just as well. That's the difference. Local government in particular focuses on, they're supposed to focus on providing service and that's what drives them. They're not profit-driven. And then on the other side, the gut, as a business, you're profit-driven. You need to be able to pay your bills, but also you want to make a little money. That's why you're in the business. Interestingly enough, they do correlate. It's just different KPIs. That, yeah, it's, it's still an output though, right? It like, is. Very similar. And so that makes a lot of sense. And we're still dealing with people, humans, and yep. human interaction and relationships just the same. Do you primarily work on like staff that's uh, in an office environment or like you talk a lot about like maintenance people? I was a maintenance guy way back in the day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Me too. You know, <laughs> yep. Yep. You said that. <laughs> do you also deal a lot with field workers and that sort of thing too? So it doesn't really matter where they're working or what the kind of physical work environment is then? Is that what you're no, saying? It it doesn't. I, I think because that's part of the process, I think for me, that makes me successful at it is most of the jobs, at least for a little bit, I've done most of them, both office and mm-hmm. um, because I've worked in startups, I've worked in small companies and big growing companies and all that. So no, it doesn't matter. The field people have a different, there's a different language there's a maintenance language as from being there. There's also an administrative language right, for, right. for the we office talk people. Differently, yeah. We do, yeah. And so one of the things that allows me to do well is that I, I can translate both languages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really important. I can relate because from a from a technical person, some technical people are awfully nerdy and they have a very hard time explaining things to non-technical people in a way that they can easily understand and really understand what they're talking about. So I absolutely, you know, see the value in that. And it's rather rare too. Yeah. That's, we're trying to scale and find people who know how to do that. And it's hard (laughs) Yeah, because a lot of them are expert, like you just said, right? They're Mm. they're a little nerdy in their business, which is awesome. That's what makes Mm. them great at it. But Translating has always been a challenge and we found a few and that's another thing. If there's anybody out there who has that skill, we're looking, this is something we want people to, we believe that we can change the world by changing the workplace. And that's what, so if anybody's interested, 
feel free to get a hold of us. When yeah, I absolutely love what you're doing. And I know that there's a huge demand for it. Of course, it's funny because I, I talk to people like yourself and I don't realize how big of a need there is for, for yeah. certain things. And it's always shocking to hear those when you're not entrenched in it all the time on a daily basis, like yourself. Yeah. And so it's very interesting and that you found this niche and you're so good at doing it. And it's, it's really needed and you're absolutely right. If you can improve the workplace, it improves their family life, improves their personal life, improves their interactions with everybody in the world around them. It improves the business so that they can help more people and provide more services. And it just trickles everywhere, doesn't it? Yeah, it snowballs really fast. And it's an amazing thing when an organization really gets rolling and their services are improving and the people are smiling and their families are doing well. Mm -hmm. And it just is can change an entire community. Yeah, absolutely. So you are looking to hire and how, if someone's interested in talking to you about that, they think they have that kind of a skill set and they want to connect, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way there is through the website. I think at this point, yeah. you can actually message me on LinkedIn. Actually, that's probably the best way. That's probably the easiest for people. Yeah. But yeah, yeah link just go through LinkedIn. I'm on there all the time. And yeah, yeah love to, if you're interested, if you're like, yeah, I do that. I've had some success at it and I want to do more. I want to mm -hmm. talk about doing more. Awesome. That's We know as a business that we can't do everything. That was why I started the business. And one of the reasons was I wanted to impact more people and I couldn't in my just being in, in an organization as a leader. So if that's something that's a passionate for you, great. We do a lot of stuff where we've, our model is we're supporting you do, living your dream and while we're living ours. Yeah, great. And that's Glenn Akromoff on LinkedIn and that's akromoff.com. That's A-K-R-A-M-O-F.com. It's a contact button right on the top of the site. Click on that, just fill it out. It'll go right to Glenn. Awesome. And so here's a question for you. What kind of, in your time in this space and not necessarily just from the time you started doing this type of work, but from the time you really started noticing this and being involved in it and keeping your eye on it, what kind of trends and changes have you seen at all? Have you seen any major trends or things changing along the lines of work environments or the quality of work environments? And where do you see that going moving forward? Yeah, a lot of them. I think we mentioned earlier generational. The generations are pushing change for having better leaders. What's really changed is that the organizations need to be purpose-driven because the people, a lot of the people are, especially mm. the younger generation. But I'd say everyone, especially coming out of COVID, everyone's people retired, people got changed jobs, changed where they live because they're like, this, I'm not going to live. I, I only have a short time on the earth. I want to do what I want to do. So purpose-driven has become super important for people and for organizations. Mm. I'd also say that seeking help is now much more prevalent than it used to be. And that's in every venue. People will seek help for physical, mental, emotional support. They'll, right. Organizations are now seeking help for being able to figure out how to get things done. I think so, that came back from like the World War II, the World War II generation of yeah. like men, especially like they will not ask for directions. They will not ask for help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will be lost in the woods for 10 days and I will kill and eat a bear before I ask for help. Right. And right. nowadays it's very acceptable because now everyone, it's very mainstream that you can't know everything yourself and there are other people's skills and knowledge that can help you. And it's yeah. foolish not to seek that out. Yeah. And, and I think that's really And we positive. have much easier access. 
Access, right? yeah, absolutely. yeah. Access is so much easier now. But mm. I was one of those guys, right? I'm not asking for help. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. yeah, and I'm a cop son. My dad was a police officer, and that's the way it is. You just mm. you grind it out, and you do what you got to do as the man. Mm. And I was I'm the oldest, so it's the same thing. And that was just piled on me, and I accepted that, mm. and realized I didn't have to. And then realized, hey, I have some abilities to help others. So that's what I want to do, which actually came from my dad. Right. That's why he did his business. But true. Those are definitely trends. And I think the other part is that people want to do spend more time doing what they love to do. Yeah. And that's at work too. And and they can. There's plenty of stuff out there that meet your skills. Right. Yeah. I think it's it's something that didn't used to be talked about. I mean, way back when you were just glad to have a job. Now people, when they go and they work someplace, they want to feel as though they're sharing in that purpose and they're aligned with the purpose and kind of the vision of the business. It makes your job that much better, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's for me being on my own. I always bought into those things and tried to expand them, but being on my own and having my own business, that is one of the reasons I love it is because we, the purpose is everyone who joins the team is committed to that purpose. I'm sure you found the same thing. It just is, it's super rewarding to know that and feel like you're every day you get to do spend your portion, big portion of your time. I use the 70% rule. If I'm spending 70% of my time doing what I love to do, I'm a pretty happy person. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. So I've I've got a nice question I like to ask near the end, but we can Mm -hmm. cover anything else you'd like to as well. And that is, what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs uh, looking to succeed in a big way who might be in a similar space, but you're in and out of a lot of different businesses. So you have a pretty broad spectrum of this, but what can you tell them that that you've learned along the way that you wish you would have known in the beginning? (laughs) I've learned a lot of tough lessons. I think that the first thing is entrepreneurs tend to be willing to take risks. And I have been, and I am. And I took a few that were not didn't, they were not calculated risks, right? I just Mm -hmm. took them because we had momentum and they stopped the momentum. So be careful about getting ahead of yourself Mm -hmm. and making sure that whatever new product you're rolling out or whatever you're going to move to is the market does want it. We made a mistake like that and Mm -hmm. it it hurt, but it didn't hurt that much. I learned a lesson from it. The other part is we, we were talking, you were, you mentioned it earlier is if you, if there's something you don't do well, or you don't like to do either one, find help, find someone who does that and loves to do it. That's been part of the mo- our model from the beginning, but it was rough when I first started because it was just me. Everything was around me. I did everything. And then I started going, I don't like doing this or I'm not, not doing this well. So let me get an attorney. Let me get an accountant. Let me get someone who does my social media and helps me with that. And now the momentum, and you're also feeding other businesses and other entrepreneurs when you do that. And so then it becomes a team of people working towards similar goals. And that has worked really well for us. And then the last one for me is when you, everyone faces a time when they need to scale, they either stay where they are, or they're going to scale because their business is um, grown to that point. And just have, take a breath, put a plan together, get help where you need it, but but have a plan of where you want to go, what that scaling really means to you. We mentioned before we came on, we were talking about how much I worked last year. And that was because we were in a scaling mode and I went ahead and was working 16 hours a day, six days a week, which is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And I could only, I couldn't sustain it very long. Mm -hmm. And if that's part of your plan, okay, but you can only do that for a 
about three months and then you're going to break. And make sure you plan that out. I'm going to add one more and that's take the time to take a few days off here and there. You can't keep up your energy and help your clients if your energy just drops to a certain. Yeah. I mean, your effectiveness degrades, right? Like the quality and the value that you're delivering, it degrades. You can put in all the time you want, but one hour of time isn't necessarily equivalent to another hour of time. If your capacity is drained and your mental stability is drained and your energy is drained. And I also loved what you said about calculated risk versus uncalculated risk. And that's, I learned the hard way on that one as well. So (laughs) I bet most entrepreneurs do. Yeah. As long as it's a small pain, it's okay. But yeah, that's, that was a big one for me. Yeah, that's fantastic. So that's acromoff.com. And Glenn Akromoff on LinkedIn. Go ahead and connect with him if you're looking to get into the profession, you want to talk to him, or if you have an organization that needs some help, get a consultation and he can definitely help you out. Glenn, thanks so much. It was great to have you on the podcast. I appreciate it, Jay. It was a great time. Love the discussion.